Hey, hi, hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of The Corona. My name is Hannah. And today is a bit weird for me because I am doing a completely unscripted episode. Usually I'd have everything written down beforehand because I'm not a very, how do you say, socially organized person. Um, <laughs> I have very severe anxiety. So I don't tend to speak to people outside of my comfort zone. And being inside of my comfort zone also means writing scripts for these episodes. So I'm not just aimlessly talking to myself in the middle of my bedroom. But today, I thought I'd do something a little bit different. Only because a few weeks ago, I was given the opportunity to make an episode about Gaza and the Israel-Palestinian conflict. Now, initially, I had this entire episode planned out. I had pages worth of scripts written out. I had parts even recorded for it. But then I got to thinking, you guys have probably heard all of this information again and again and again. And then I got to thinking as well that everyone is being silenced for their opinion. And if not being silenced, that just not speaking about it upright. And I am someone who will always, always, always judge anyone with a platform who refuses to speak out give their true opinion about the situation or for the sake of what if I'm demonetized or what if I'm cancelled or etc. So today I am stepping out of my comfort zone entirely, walking right into my fears and doing an unscripted video about Palestine. So sitting down make this episode has been extremely difficult for me. I'm very nervous, mostly because I don't want anyone misunderstanding me or I don't want to convey the message in the wrong way. <laughs> On top of the pressure that's added to give the right information to you guys. This idea for this episode started very strangely at an after party that I had for my formal. So I am not typically a party girl, as you would say. I enjoy staying home. I enjoy reading in my bed with a cup of tea. I enjoy writing. I enjoy doing this. <laughs> I am not a very go out of my way to socialize and dance with people and be around those who are drunk, especially because growing up in a Muslim family, I am not very desensitized to that kind of environment. However, during this party, a friend came up to me. He was, and I won't state any names, but he was very, very drunk. And he mentioned something about not being happy with Palestine and how they've been acting during this entire conflict. And I think seeing it online, seeing the hatred towards Palestine was not okay, but it felt like there was a barrier between me and that hatred because it was online. You don't know the people. You don't know who they really are. You see it once on your phone and then you just keep scrolling, right? But having it said to my face by someone who I was close to, someone who I had classes with, someone who I had been exchanging thoughts and ideas with for the last few years, sort of just hit differently. It just, it made me realize that this is not the life that I want for myself. It's being silent, not speaking about what I believe in and not giving my opinions it's most definitely not something that I want for myself, especially someone who wants to become a human rights lawyer in the future. I believe that speaking out against what's really happening is the right thing to do. Initially, for this episode, I was meant to give a completely unbiased, unopinionated, just factual structure to this episode, and you guys would only know the facts, which I will get into the facts, and you guys will learn about it and everything. 
However, I don't know if I want it to be as unbiased as my producer wants it to be. It's something that I most definitely feel so strongly about because I've had family friends pass away in Gaza and I've had friends of friends pass away in Gaza. I have friends that live in Jerusalem and their friends and family are passing away in Gaza. So it's very, very close to my heart. So being silent is not something I want to do. Being unopinionated is not something I want to do. So please sit back and enjoy. We'll start off firstly with how this came to be. We will get to October 7th eventually later on in the episode and what happened there. But I think it's very important to mention the fact that this conflict did not start on October the 7th. It did not start when Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th. This conflict has been an ongoing thing for 75 plus years. And that's not really something that the media talks about Well, most news channels. They won't mention the fact that this started with a million wars between them and Palestine was there initially before Israel even got there and that Israel came in and were taken in by the Palestinians after World War II. So we'll get into all that information um, eventually in a little bit. (laughs) But let's start from the very, very beginning. What is Israel? How does it exist? What's Palestine? How long have they existed? And why is there even a conflict between them in the first place? So as I said before, to truly understand the situation that we're seeing right now, we have to go all the way back to the end of World War II. As a result of obviously the completely immense horrors that the Jewish faced during World War II, they were offered refuge, safety, and a place to rebuild their lives by the Palestinians. However, because of this, the Zionist movement, which had been advocating for the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine, gained a lot of momentum. Also, I think it's important to mention here that this movement was powered by the Balfour Declaration, which was issued by the British government during World War I that expressed support for the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. Now, while it was a statement of British policy, it was not a legally binding document. Therefore, any talk of an Israeli state at this point was merely that, talk. Now, on that point as well, this is part of the reason why there are many arguments between whether or not Israel is actually a legal state because of all the misunderstandings between whether or not it was actually a legally binding you know, situation to create Israel. Many people believe that they have illegally occupied the land that they live on now. So following World War I, the League of Nations granted Britain a mandate over Palestine. This incorporated the principles of the previously mentioned Balfour Declaration, but also recognized the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine. Now, the mandate was approved by the League of Nations. However, again, it did not explicitly grant the establishment of a Jewish state. Anyhow, shortly after, global communities, particularly the United Nations, expressed a support for this movement. This led to the 1947, I believe, UN partition plan that recommended the creation of separate Jewish and Arab states, an international regime for Jerusalem. Now, this plan passed in the United Nations General Assembly Resolution, but it was, again, not legally binding along with the idea of being obviously opposed by the Arab states. So during this time, the British mandate over Palestine was coming to an end. And because of this, the tensions between the Jewish immigrants and the Arab population had unfortunately increased. Furthermore, 
The withdrawal from the British mandate saw British immigrants take the opportunity to establish and expand their presence in the region. Now, this is where I go back to many say illegally. However, more on that in a little bit when we talk about everything that's happening now. (laughs) So then on May the 14th, 1948, I believe. Oh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but um, <laughs> I apologize if I butcher this. But David Ben Gurion, I believe, is how he pronounced his name, but I'm not completely sure. The head of the Jewish agency declared the establishment of the state of Israel after the expiration of the British mandate. The declaration marked the culmination of Jewish immigration efforts and the formal establishment of the Jewish state. Now, Jewish immigration to Palestine throughout this entire period became a crucial element in the historical context of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict because this played a significant role in the displacement of Palestinian adult populations and the complexity of the region's history as a whole. Now, in saying that, the legality on the founding of Israel is a matter of interpretation to many people. The supporters of Israel argue that the combination of the Balfour Declaration, the League of Nations mandate, and the UN support for the partition plan provides a legal basis for the establishment of the state. However, on the other hand, critics argue that the establishment of Israel, without the consent of the Arab population, along with the ridiculously very clear absence of a legal framework for the state's creation, raises questions about its legality. So now that we've covered how and why Israel came to be, I feel it's probably appropriate to mention the origins of Hamas, what they are and their position or significance within the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So Hamas is a Palestinian Islamist organization that was founded, I believe, in 1987. Its name, which stands for Harakat al-Muqawama al-Islamiyah in Arabic, translates to the Islamic Resistance Movement in English. Hamas was established as a response to the Israeli occupation of Palestinian territories by Ahmad Yassin, particularly the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Coming back to that point just there with Hamas being established as a response, this is something that I most definitely feel very strongly about. Just a forewarning, this is an opinion, so if you don't want to hear my opinion, please get forward. I think as you look through the history and you see each and every incident pile up on top of each other, From the moment that Israel was established to October 7th, you can see the dozens of wars and murders and incidents that have occurred between Israel and Palestine, particularly from Israel's side to Palestine. You can see how it just builds up and builds up and builds up until they sort of just reach a tipping point, a boiling point, if you will, where at some point you can't just sit there and watch your family and your loved ones be murdered, be killed off. You can't sit and watch them be treated unjustly. So that's why I believe that Hamas was created as a response to what Israel was doing to them, specifically to build up their reputation, their autonomy again, to bring back airports, to bring back prospering neighborhoods and amazing education and amazing hospitals and just to rebuild how they were before. Now, it's important to acknowledge that by this point, Israel has had complete control over what was initially Palestinian and Arab land. That means they're restricting their water, their food and their electricity supplies, meaning the death toll unfortunately has risen due to lack of essentials and proper sustenance for the 2 million people living within Gaza 
Now, Gaza, by the way, is approximately a 365 square kilometer piece of land that housed over 2 million people. This led to the United Nations naming Gaza the largest open-air prison in the world. I'll just let that sit for a moment because when I first heard that it was literally named that by the United Nations, I genuinely had to sit down for a moment and rethink my entire life. So I'll, I'll just let that sit there for a second. Now, the IDF even enforced checkpoints on Palestinians. They have enforced a curfew for Palestinian citizens. And they've put in place various military operations to deal with Palestinian citizens. And in some case, they have arrested said Palestinian citizens for posting about the horrors that they face under Israeli rule on things such as Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. This has heavily, heavily affected the autonomy of Palestine and the ability for them to grow as a nation. However, this has grown so widely throughout the country that even places such as East Jerusalem, which is occupied predominantly by Palestinians, have faced challenges related to residency status, access to various services and housing, not to mention the difference in their legal and political statuses compared to Jewish residences within the city, often leading to disparities in treatment and opportunities for Palestinians. Not only that, but unfortunately, there have been many reported cases of sexual violence against Palestinian women by agents of Israeli security forces, both within the aforementioned checkpoints, house raids, or even when visiting their relatives in Israeli jails and attending court hearings for their relatives. Which is why, when October the 7th came around, many people suggest that the attack by Hamas was simply an act of self-defense and a way to take back their autonomy and their land. This is part of why the group is best known for its resistance to Israel, on top of its governing power of the 2 million Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Also mentioning here that Hamas was elected into power by the Palestinians. However, when they were elected into power, they were not known as terrorists per se, more so revolutionaries, people who wanted to take back what they once had, people who wanted to, as Donald Trump might say, make the country great again. <laughs> they wanted to find justice for Palestine. So, on October the 7th, the one day that I'm dreading speaking about the most because I know that there will be some backlash to what I have to say, but quite honestly, the truth has to be said and if the media refuses to see it that way, then someone has to. So, here goes nothing. During the early hours of a Saturday morning, also known as October the 7th, 2023, Palestinians across Gaza were woken to sounds of explosions. Now, at the time, no one really knew what was going on until news and reports began to spread, stating that fighters from Gaza had taken control of the Beit Hanun crossing, a large fence that separated the citizens within the Gaza Strip from the rest of the country. This is also the only way for residents to get from the Strip to the rest of Israel on the rare occasions that they were actually allowed to. This is when images and videos began to leak, showing a bulldozer breaking down the wall. Now, this was a historic moment, as the vast majority of Palestinians living inside the Gaza Strip were born within that open-air prison, and have only known that area for their entire lives. Similarly, on the other side in the West Bank, all entry and exit points to every Palestinian village, town and city are all controlled by the IDF. This means that Palestinians across the country have no autonomy or freedom of movement. To Israelis, this war was described as a necessary security barrier against the Palestinian political violence. But to Palestinians, 
This war was an element of racial segregation and a representation of the Israeli apartheid. Through both the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, there are high levels of unemployment for Palestinians as the economy increasingly suffers. They're also under 24-7 surveillance by cameras in public places, drones, the tapping of their phones and telecommunications, spies and a network of infiltrators. Palestinians are also punished for misbehaving. While in the West Bank there are constant search and arrest raids of Palestinian homes, the brutalization of parents and loved ones in front of children, and a rising number of civilians and children being detained indefinitely, most without a charge. Not to mention the shooting of Palestinian citizens during these raids is a regular occurrence. So, considering all of this context and history, many found the tearing down of the wall a liberating moment, a symbolic move of power that shook the balance within the communities surrounding the area. But this euphoria was unfortunately short-lived as the realization dawned of what was to come next. Since then, as I'm sure you've all seen on the news, has been countless days of Kaaba bombing within the Gaza Strip. Since October the 7th, over 15,000 people have been killed. That includes the murder of 6,150 children and 4,000 women. In addition to the numerous unaccounted deaths, including the 7,000 people missing under rubble, this also accounts for 4,700 children and women. The statement that I'm reading here also notes that within the rising numbers of murdered Palestinians, 207 of them were medical staff, 26 were members of the Civil Defense Rescue Team, and 70 of them were journalists. This has all been done with a 100 to 1 ratio. Now, let me just quickly explain what this 100 to 1 ratio is. So essentially, for every 100 civilians that are killed, only one Hamas member is killed or is taken care of, as Israel might say. Essentially, Israel's reasoning to bombing Gaza so much is that Hamas are hiding behind Palestinian citizens. And in order to get to Hamas, they have to go through these citizens, these human shields, as they say. But for every Hamas member that they get, they're also killing 100 innocent civilians. I'll just let that sit with you guys for a bit. But in terms of the buildings themselves, the numbers are very quickly rising, standing at nearly 50,000 house units completely destroyed, alongside 240,000 house units that have been severely damaged. This isn't to mention the 88 mosques that were bombed to the ground, the three churches that were turned to rubble, and the countless hospitals, schools, and refugee camps that have been bombed by the IDF. Unfortunately, these numbers continue to rise each and every day as Israel has imposed a full-on blockade on Gaza, with no water, electricity, food or medicine entering the Strip. Telecommunications have been completely bombarded, resulting in a total blackout of Palestine from the rest of the world, all the while the media is framing Palestinians as subhumans and animals. So in terms of the ceasefire that we're seeing right now on the news, that initially started off as a four-hour-a-day ceasefire to allow in humanitarian aid and supplies to Gaza before returning to carpet bombing them for the next 20 hours of the day. But now, Israel and Hamas have declared a four-day truce in their conflict. Then, on Monday, officials announced that the pause in fighting would continue for another two days to allow for a release of more Israeli captives and Palestinian prisoners. 
However, protesters across the world have not stopped protesting and demonstrating hunger strikes in order to create a permanent ceasefire for those living in Gaza. Approximately over 50% of the population in Gaza are children. At some point, this has got to end. Iman Abid, an organiser with the US Campaign for Palestinian Rights, says, How many more Palestinians must be killed before you call for a ceasefire, President Biden? We cannot wait any longer. I'll refrain from saying too much about the ceasefire at the moment as we don't really know what's happening. However, as more news comes out, I'm hoping to put out more episodes about Palestine to continue raising awareness for those in Gaza, for those who have been silenced, for those who don't have a voice. So, coming to a conclusion on this episode, I'd like to state that in no way, shape or form do I ever accept the killing of an innocent civilian. Whether that be from Israel's side or Hamas's side, no innocent human being should ever have to go through that much pain and the horrors that we're currently facing in Palestine at the moment. I also wanted to acknowledge the fact that my opinion was embedded through the entire episode, so if you'd like to take this with a grain of salt, then that would be entirely understandable. However, I think with all the biased coverage on the Israel side, it was important to see it from the other side as well. There are possibly hundreds of videos out there specifically stating facts, so if you'd like to watch those videos as well to get a more big picture look on the entire situation, then please be my guest. I encourage you to go out there and attain all the knowledge you can possibly attain on the internet. I guess what I'm saying is I understand that there might be some backlash to this episode, but I couldn't bear sitting back and refusing to use my platform to shout what I believe is the truth from the absolute rooftops. If you stayed for this long, then I greatly appreciate it. I'll link some charities down below along with some news articles if you're curious about learning more on the issue. Once again, thank you for listening. My name is Hannah and this was The Core Unearthed. Thank you for tuning in to this episode proudly presented by the APNM Group, a subsidiary of Alger Productions, LLC. We strive to produce content that informs, entertains, and adds value to your day. We value your input and would be delighted to hear your thoughts in the comments about this episode. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please engage with us in the comments section or via our social media platforms. Your feedback helps us shape our content and uncover new topics that matter to our listeners. If this episode resonated with you, we kindly ask that you rate and review this show on your preferred podcast platform. Sharing this podcast with friends and family helps us reach more listeners and continue delivering content you enjoy. For more information about the podcast, the host, or our parent company, please visit the link in this episode's description. Also visit us on YouTube and Rumble to see and hear every content produced by Alger Productions. Thank you once again for your time and support. Until next time, stay tuned and stay inspired.